Let's open the Word of God this morning and turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 6, and we continue uh, our study on this portion of God's Word. If you remember many weeks ago, we began considering the command to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, I don't need to remind you, I don't think, I don't need to remind you that we are in a battle, we're in a war, and it is a spiritual battle, not a physical one. Now, the problem with that is that most people can only see physically. And most people never learn how to look or listen spiritually. Most people think intellectually and not spiritually. There's a difference. It's easy to pick up a book and intellectually dissect it. It's another thing for the light of God's Spirit to open eyes and hearts, so that we might understand what God is saying. It's a totally different thing. And the battle that we are fighting is not one against flesh and blood. I am just as broken as you are, and I'm just as weak as you are. Sometimes I forget that I'm not fighting with the people I'm looking at. I forget that the problem isn't what I see or what I hear. I get annoyed and frustrated and worked up, and I forget that the problem is not physical. I get distracted, I'm sure, like many other people do, and I forget that even the distractions are spiritual. It's easy sometimes, isn't it, to look at things just as they appear. Today, we continue looking at this portion, and we begin to look at a sevenfold system or a sevenfold structure of armor that we are commanded to put on. Some might say, well, it's six, I believe seven, because the seventh one, without changing thought or changing a sequence here, the seventh one is that of prayer, and that's often neglected. There are six things that appear very obvious, obvious um, parts of a armor or armory, But the seventh one is just as obvious if you're thinking spiritually and just as important. And that is the one praying we find in verse 18. But we begin learning from this portion of Scripture that we stand, verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Having your loins girt about with truth. Now I remind you in verse 10 we were told Uh, Paul is summing up all of his instructions to the Ephesian church. And he says, after explaining early on that they have got to be aware that they are seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and that we walk in Christ, we walk in love, and then we stand, but he reminds us finally, summing it all up, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. There is no hope of being strong or standing against Satan outside of the Lord. No hope. That's why we fail so frequently. That's why we fall so often. Because we often stand in our own strength. We try to operate in the physical realm or even in the emotional realm to the neglect of the spiritual. Stand, we're told, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Would you look here for a moment? If you could choose today 
Between your power and his power, which would you choose? I think that's a no-brainer, right? But yet, why is it we choose most days to take our own power and to fight in our own power and to fight with our own intellect? We're very silly, aren't we? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then we're told in verse 14, stand therefore. In fact, verse 13 says, wherefore take unto you. So we understand that we are, we are remaining firm. We are strong in the Lord in the power of his might. But we also understand you and I have a responsibility personally to take unto us the armor of God. I must be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, always conscious that I'm in Christ, always aware I cannot do anything without him. But it doesn't mean I sit back and do nothing. It doesn't mean I I sit back and watch as things go go by and, and do nothing, say nothing, and try to change nothing. No, in fact, we have a responsibility, a command to take unto us the whole armor of God, the first part being, therefore, the loins girt about with truth. You've got to do it. You must take unto you the whole armor of God. And the first of seven instructions is this one. And by the way, the order is extremely important. Paul didn't just list things as they popped into his head. There was a strategy about the order of the pieces of armor that he were to put on, you and I are to put on. The first one being not necessarily the most important, but needing to be the first. And you'll understand that in a moment. Really, we we take it as it's written. The scriptures say there uh, that your loins ought to be girt about with truth. Let's think about those three things. Your loins that are girded with truth. Let's think about your loins for a second. Loins all through scripture are symbolic of not just strength, but life-giving strength. In fact, you find, you read often in the scriptures that, uh, that uh, from his loins came a lineage. You read that in a several different portions. It speaks of Melchizedek. Genesis chapter 35, the first mention of loins is found. And in the loins, that's the, the, not just the strength of a man, but the life of a man. And so therefore, spiritually speaking, the strength of a person, the life of a person is representative of his loins. Now, we understand that physically speaking, because in battle or in, or in sport, we recognize that your strength is right here in this part of your body. Somebody imagine that your loins began sort of at the bottom of your rib cage and, and went down sort of just past your waist. That was a loin area. And I can remember, you've heard me say this before, but playing Amer- growing up playing American football, I distinguish American football between that which is Uh, called real football here, but growing up playing American football, I was always told that if I wanted, if I dared to stand against someone bigger than me, and if I ever had a chance of tackling someone bigger than me, then I would have to make sure that I would, my center of gravity was low and strong. Your loins, that's where your strength is. If I'm stood up like this, I'm an easy target. The, the enemy, the opposing team could knock me over in a heartbeat, but if I crouch and I get my loins just right, then I can remain strong. And so this reference to loins is a reference to your strength spiritually. So that's what we're talking about. This very first piece of the armor is in reference to your strength and your life-giving ability. Did you know as a child of God, you have in you right now 
All you need, if you've been born again, you have what you need to see someone else born again. And you have that responsibility. You say, I can't save anybody. You're right, you can't. But the gospel that saved you and the spirit of God that birthed you lives inside of you. So the seed is there and you and I have the truth to declare unto people and the spirit of God inside of us. Hopefully you're filled with the spirit of God so that now you're enabled to impart unto others, give unto others what's been given to you. But do you know that if your strength, if your loins are not strong, and not protected, then you, from the very beginning, are weak. We're told to have the loins girded. Jesus, interestingly, mentioned this as well in Luke chapter 11 and verse 35, the same expression really, Luke eleven thirty-five said, Take heed, therefore, uh, that the light which is in thee, I've got the wrong verse, I think, Well, I'll find it another day and give it to you. The Lord Jesus said something similar, that you also need to beware and have your loins girded. Now, that's a a reference, an expression that had reference to being ready, as we'll see in a moment. Let's move on to the second thought there, having your loins girt. Literally, you have girded your loins. Girded loins represent the opposite of self-indulgence. Girded loins represent the opposite of slothful ease or carelessness. Would you look here for a moment? In those days, most people wore long flowing garments. You've heard this before. And if a man was to go to battle, uh, he certainly couldn't move like he should move or as fast as he could move if he did not gird up his loins. He would wear this belt around this center section And he would take his garments and tuck them in so that he would be ready and free to run. Now, if he didn't do that, look what would happen. If he didn't do that, he'd have to do like I see some ladies do. Take their dress, pick it up a little bit, and tiptoe into battle. Now, you've got both hands full. You can't hold your sword or your shield, which you're commanded to do in just a moment. You can't use the shield of faith like you ought to and operate the sword of the spirit like you should if your loins aren't girt you'll be distracted so this expression having your loins girt about has a lot to do with being ready being alert resisting the temptation of self-indulgence slothful ease and carelessness girded loins or girdled loins as some may may often refer, represents a readiness and a preparedness for battle. Look at Isaiah chapter 5. Listen to this verse, a really amazing verse. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 27. The scriptures say, verse 26, And he will lift up an ensign to the nations from far, and he will hiss unto them from the end of the earth. And behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. None shall be weary nor stumble among them. None shall slumber nor sleep. Neither shall the girdle of their loins be loosed, nor the latchet of their shoes be broken. It was a promise, a prophecy uh, signifying this. That there'd never be a time when the girdle would be loosened. And by the way, you only loosen the girdle when the battle's over. You only loosen the girdle when the job's done. 
You only unlatch the shoes when you go home to rest. The battle's not over till we see the face of Jesus Christ. So we must always have our loins girt about. We must always be ready. We must always be steadfast, unmovable. We must never let ourselves to be self-indulgent. We must never become careless. We must never become slothful. Never. The idea of one walking around with flowing garments was a representative of a life of ease at the moment. But the second that a, a battle came towards them, the second that uh, some emergency took place, that life of comfort and ease changed. And they pulled up those garments, girded them about. We read in Isaiah chapter 11, a reference about our Savior, an amazing chapter. There shall come forth, verse number one, a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wickedness, the wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness, the girdle of his reins. Speaking of Jesus. The girdle of his loins of the Lord Jesus was righteousness, and it never is loosened. It's never put at ease. The use of a girdle was twofold in many ways. It was to keep the armor compact, fastened together. Now, some people believe that in those days that the girdle was also used as a central point upon which all other pieces of armor connected. I don't know. I didn't live then, and it sounds good, and it can make a good spiritual application, uh, but there we go. We do know that this girdle definitely would be used to bring strength the same way that a man puts on a weightlifting belt. It keeps things tight and strong. It keeps you ready. And therefore, the Christian, the child of the living God, must always have their loins girt about. You must never loosen the girdle. If you've ever been involved in weightlifting or lifting heavy objects and you've worn one of those belts, then you know after the job is done, you like to just undo that girdle, that belt, so you can breathe a little better. But do not give in to the temptation in this world to breathe a little bit better. Don't give in to the subtle whispers of Satan that says, relax, it's more comfortable if you take your girdle off or loosen it a little bit. You ever heard that before? Why don't you just loosen up a little? Why don't you just relax? Have you heard that? I've heard that a few times. Just calm down a little bit. You know, you just just take it easy. You're going a little bit too fast and going a little bit too hard. And, and you know, you want to relax and take it easy. Just loosen up a little bit. No, no, no. Tighten up. Keep that girdle tight. It keeps things together. The significance of the loins girt is that it keeps the rest of your armor potentially together. Now, the other use of a girdle is that it strengthens the loins, as I mentioned a moment ago. Psalm chapter 93, we read it at the beginning of the meeting. Verse number one, the Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength wherewith he hath girded himself. Think about that. God has girded himself with strength. He strengthened himself with strength because he can't get any stronger. It's an amazing principle and concept. Now, 
Let's think for just a moment. What is it? What is this belt? What is this girdle that we're to strengthen our loins and protect the strength and life-giving force of ourselves, spiritually speaking? What is this belt that is to be tight, that is to be binding, holding all else together? The scriptures tell us very clearly, having your loins girt about with truth. Do you know we're living in a world of lies? Lies. And it's interesting to me that the people who are most duped and most deceived are the ones who so quickly call Christians self-deceived and living in a fairy, fairy tale land. You ever heard that before? You ever been told that as a Christian? You believe that fairy tale? And the reality is we're just about the only ones who are living in truth. Now, truth can, can signify three things in Scripture, and I believe that this word here uh, stands for all of them. One being just that, the difference between that which is real and that which is fake. That which is true and that which is untrue. In the world today, the majority of those who are unconverted, all of those who are unconverted, are living in a false land. A, a false system. It's a real system, but it's a, it's a false sense of security. It's not what they think it is. And that most people in the world today have no idea, no, no understanding that they are living a lie. They're being fed a lie day by day that the world and its system is a system of lies. We know that because Satan is the father of all lies. And therefore, anything that has to do with him will be that of deception. I'm still amazed that people think sometimes that we can trust implicitly and wholeheartedly all that a government tells us. Well, I, I don't know of too many strong Bible-believing Christians who are leading nations. Now, there may be some within the houses of parliament. There may be some in some other countries leading. But by and large, most of those who hold government office are ungodly and godless. And therefore, we cannot assume that, that the government has our best interest at heart. I'm not saying that we are anarchists and that we need to go protesting. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is be careful. Be careful. We must be assured that what we're following is that which is true, not that which is wrapped up and colored up to be true. There's a lot of men who stand behind the pulpit and preach things that aren't true. Most sermons that proceed from pulpits today are so, I heard a man say, are so sugar-coated they could give you spiritual diabetes. Most sermons being preached today are so sugar-coated they can give you spiritual diabetes. That's pretty good, I thought. you got to be careful. Just because somebody claims to come from the Lord and declare a message from God doesn't mean it's actually from God or is actually true. Now, that's one way that truth is often uh, mentioned in Scripture. Two others. One is we understand that God's Word is truth. The Lord Jesus said, thy word is truth. We read in Hebrews chapter 4 that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We understand that it is the word of truth. We understand that God is a God of truth, that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And the spirit Jesus talks about in, in John chapter 15 and verse and chapter 16, he says, he says he's going to send the comforter who is the spirit of truth. So Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are truth. All of them. And we pick up this word, this written word of truth. 
And therefore, if you expect to know what is true, you will not find it anywhere but here. You can't. That's why, can, can I have your ear for a second? Would you look this way? That's why I would be very careful. In fact, I would run for the hills when somebody holds a Bible and says, you know, I believe that this is 90% truth. I believe that this is 95% truth. No, no, no. It's either all truth or not. It's either 100% God's word, inerrant, without error, or it's not. The second you start saying, well, there's some error. No, no, I believe God, uh, God spoke it, but man wrote it, and man is full of error, and therefore we have error mixed in. You're on dangerous ground then. You don't know what is right and what is wrong then. You're constantly unsure of whether you're reading truth or not. Make up your mind that this word is truth, and let no one push you out of that stance. I believe that's another way that truth is referred to in Scripture, but I also believe that truth can be mentioned in Scripture as sincerity. Sincerity. We find that a couple of times in Joshua, the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 24. Let me find it there for you. Joshua, chapter 24, and verse number 14. We find it in the Old Testament and New Testament. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Together. Those two go together, sincerity and in truth. We find that again in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 8. The apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says the same thing. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse number 8. And he says this, Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity. So what we're talking about now is truth in the inward man. So we've got, I believe that when, when the scriptures tell us here that we ought to have our loins girt about with truth, I think it is ref- referring to all of that. And some would say, I've read some commentators who say, well, it's not referring to the word of God because we read that later on, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. No, no, no. I think from the very beginning, it's got to be referring to the word of God as well because our strength and protection is found in the scriptures. Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, he's our example, and so our strength is found in him and who he is, the reality of Christ and the reality of who he is, and it's also found in sincerity in your own heart. Because nothing you do as a child of God, if there is not sincerity in your heart, then it doesn't matter. We're going to be judged one day. Do you know that? You say, hold on, I thought Jesus took our judgment. He did. He took the judgment of our sins. We shall not, praise God, we shall never be judged for our sins again. Never. Because Jesus paid it all. The scriptures say the blood of Jesus cleanses us from how much? All our sins. I will never stand before the Lord Jesus and have to pay for my sins. Jesus did it. But I will stand before him one day and all of my works, all that I did for him will be judged and will be tried with fire. Every time I went to church, every time I preached a sermon, every time I handed out a leaflet, it'll be tried with fire to find what sort it was. Why did I do it? Did I do it in sincerity? Did I do it in the right heart? Or was it to be seen of man? And so when we're told that our loins must be girt about with truth, these things are in mind. Can I ask you this morning, is your intention and motive to please God? Or do you have any other intention? Any other reason 
any other purpose behind why you do what you do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Jesus spoke about having a single eye. Having your eye and your mind set on one thing. Can I tell you why so many of us today are powerless? Why so many of us are are wide open for the, the darts and the fiery darts and arrows of Satan? Because we don't get this part right. We don't get this right. We don't do what we do for the glory of God. We're divided. And our loins are not girt about with truth. We're not strengthened in our inner man in sincerity. We're loose. We're casual. We're careless. Do you know that the majority of those who call themselves Christians want nothing to do with that kind of a sober Christianity? They want nothing to do with that kind of a Christianity. They think that's boring. They think that's a killjoy. They want to have that casual kind of Christianity that looks like the world, but kind of has that sort of mushy music that kind of, you know, they want that kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling and that looks so much one foot in, one foot out. Majority of believers want that. It's easier. It's enjoyable. But do you know when you read the New Testament, I studied, I started studying the book of Acts. Uh, this this week when I was on holiday with my family. When you read the book of Acts, you tell me, you read the book of Acts and you tell me, was that an enjoyable, casual, comfortable kind of a Christian life? No. No, it was not indeed. But you know, they still had joy. They had more joy than we do. They had more joy than we do. And yet they were not half as comfortable, not half as casual not half as nonchalant as we are. Why is it? Because they had this right. Singleness of mind. If the eye be single. Jesus spoke about this very clearly. If the eye be single. If you get that right. If you are looking at one thing. If you're focused on one thing. Then the rest will be okay. But boy, if you miss that. If, in fact, that passage we were looking at a moment ago in, in Luke chapter 11 The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when the eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. Did you catch that? When the eye is single, the whole body is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body is also full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. Do you know why we don't have the light inside of us that we should have? Because our eye is not single. We're not focused on one thing. We're divided. That integrity, that, that inward man is not what it ought to be. The Bible says in Psalm 51, Thou desirest truth where? In the inward parts. That's where he wants it. Look, you can, you can be, we can be good talkers. We can talk all day long theology. Sit down here and talk all day long theology. But if there's not truth in the inner parts, if there's not sincerity in your heart, then you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Now in closing, let's think for just a moment about the Word of God. Can I just say that you and I will never be able to stand if we're not well acquainted with this book. This, thy word, is truth. All you need is here. It would do you good to turn off the television, throw away the television, get into the book. It would do you good to step on your smartphone and open the book. We've got to be acquainted with this book. 
You got to know it better, better than you know anything else. You got to know this better than you know BBC. By the way, if you're constantly getting fed a diet of the BBC news or whatever other news source you want to, if that's what you're constantly being fed, you've got the wrong source of truth coming in. You've got the wrong source. And that only weakens your loins. It only weakens you. Devour this book. Devour it. The very first thing we need, if we're going to stand in this day, is this. We read as a family the book about Brother Andrew this week. My wife and I, neither one of us had had read much on his work, but really moving. Really moving. Here's a man who determined to go behind the Iron Curtain, smuggling Bibles, smuggling the truth in. And the communist regime understood something. The communist regime understood that if they could keep the Bible out, they could control the people. Isn't that interesting? For such a book of fairy tales, why is it illegal in so many countries? If it be such a a book of nonsense, then why, why is it that governments for years, centuries, banned this book, and even still today it's banned in some countries? Why? Because it is the life-giving truth. Truth. I read story after story. My family and I read story after story of people receiving their first Bible. Can you imagine? How many Bibles do you have? How many are on your shelf at home? I've got an infatuation with Bibles. I love them. Every time I go to pass by a, a used bookshop, I go in to see if I can find an old Bible. I love them. Now, I often give them away. But there are people in this world who have never touched, never seen a Bible, never once. And we have how many copies, and we don't even read it. We don't study it. There's a story of people who were passing pages of Scripture around the village and around the church. That's all they had. And they had almost memorized it all. There was a man, Brother Andrew, went and visited a man in one of the Eastern European countries, and and there he was hand-copying the book of Exodus because he only had one Bible in all of his region, and it was missing three books, the book of Genesis, Exodus, and another book, and he was hand-copying it so that they could have a complete Bible and he could give it to a church. Told another story. If he was leaving, he was leaving one country, and he found the first pocket Bible he'd ever seen in his life. And he was on his way out, and he, he, he managed to trade two full-size Bibles for that. He wanted to make, a, make a, a, that, that as a pattern so we could print so many of them and get more into the countries. And on his way out, he stopped at one church, a church of about 1,000 people. It was illegal, by the way, 1,000 people. And the minister had to borrow somebody's Bible to preach from. The pastor didn't even have a Bible. Can you imagine? We take it for granted. He was prompted of God to give that Bible, of course, to the pastor. And the pastor broke down in tears, called for the elders, and there was great rejoicing because the pastor had received his first copy of the Word of God. What are we doing? Your strength lies in this. Don't neglect it. And if you get into this, this will get into you. It'll change you. There'll be no carelessness. There'll be no casual, 
approach to it all. Sincerity, integrity. That's what we need today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank Thee. Thou hast given us Thy Word. And that we can have truth in the inward parts. We are mindful, Lord, that oftentimes we are not standing as strong as we could because we have either neglected thy word or disobeyed it. And therefore, integrity, sincerity is not found inside of us. Oh, help us, I pray. Help us to have our loins girt about with truth. Help us to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Oh, Lord, help this church, this body. Let it begin here, Lord, that there will be revival a revival back to the Bible, a revolution back to the Scriptures, that we would no longer let the Bible be an ornament on a shelf somewhere, but that it might become our bread, morning, noon, and night, that we might meditate on Thy Word, that we might devour it, that we might love Thy Word, we might recognize Thy Word to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Oh, help us to have truth in the inward parts. Help us to be single-minded, Lord, not double-minded. Oh, give us strength, we pray. Thou hast given us strength. Forgive me, Lord. Thou hast given it to us. Help us to take it, Lord. Help us to take it unto ourselves and to apply it. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.